Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well and that you're ready for another episode of my podcast. This time, in this episode, I'm presenting you with a conversation with a guest. And that guest is John Stewart who is a university lecturer from Sheffield in England. Before we jump into the conversation, I think I should give you a bit of an introduction here to give you some context and comments to help you follow this episode better. I'll try and keep it short, but I need to just give you some context and stuff. Just in case you don't know, this is a podcast for learners of English around the world. Um, Okay, I'm an English teacher and I help people learn English around the world by presenting them with content Uh, to listen to. Okay. Um, So a bit of support in this introduction will help my listeners to follow this conversation better. These are not comments about specific words or phrases, but just some general information to help place you in the right zone for this conversation, which in turn should help you learn more English from it. Okay. So Dr. John Stewart, PhD, to give him his proper title, runs a master's degree course in business and popular music practice at the BIM Institute in London. That's the British and Irish Modern Music Institute, the BIM Institute. So he runs a master's degree in music business and popular music practice there. So John is an academic who specialises in popular music studies, but also he is a pop star himself. John currently plays guitar for a British group called The Wedding Present. And if you're a big fan of British music from the 90s, then you'll probably have heard of The Wedding Present. They're sort of a legendary group in the UK music scene. And also, John was a founding member of a band called Sleeper, who were one of the so-called Britpop bands of the 1990s. I remember seeing Sleeper on the TV and listening to them on the radio a lot Uh, when I was a teenager in the 90s. So John is a proper pop star or rock star and also a university lecturer, which is a very cool and interesting combination. John has written a book and that's what we're going to talk about mostly in this episode. We start with the book and then we chat a bit about his time as a musician too. So John's book, which should be available in all the usual bookshops, is called Dylan, Lennon, Marx and God. It's basically a dual biography, like a double biography, of Bob Dylan and John Lennon, both of whom are huge cultural figures in the English-speaking world, and probably the non-English-speaking world too, I suppose, but certainly in the English-speaking world. Obviously, Dylan and Lennon wrote pop songs or rock songs, so we are in the realm of popular culture, 
But I think we can't really underestimate the significance of these two artists, Dylan being from the United States, Lennon being from the United Kingdom. We can't really underestimate the significance of these two artists, not because of where they came from, but just because of the way that their work uh, was, has been received over the years. The music, the lyrics and the lives of Bob Dylan and John Lennon are now taken seriously both in academia and just in general life and their work will no doubt become more and more significant and revered as time goes on until the point that we look back on the 20th century as a clear, specific period in art and culture and no doubt Dylan and Lennon will be considered as prime examples of the period. John's book is fascinatingly deep and wide-ranging and it explores not just the life stories of Dylan and Lennon, but also the way both of these songwriters dealt with politics and religion in their songwriting. And so that's the, the Karl Marx and the God parts of the book title, uh, including the sort of imagery and reference points that can be found in their lyrics and what these things represent about their lives and the environments that they grew up in, as well as the roles of the church and of politics. So as you can tell, this is pretty complicated stuff. To be honest, in this conversation, we only managed to scratch the surface, really. Um, and uh, to get the full details, you'll need to read John's book. Now, I am aware that this might be a bit specific and also might only appeal to the fans of Bob Dylan and the Beatles. Um, Long-term listeners will know that I do talk about the Beatles sometimes on this podcast, and you might think, oh, no, not, not, not more Beatles. Yeah, I know, but I would like to urge you to keep listening to this conversation. Uh, John is a great guest, and he's very articulate and insightful about his subject. So keep going, keep listening. I think you will learn new things. Plus, there are some pretty good stories nearer the end of the conversation, including a story from John about the Imagine piano. That's the piano that John Lennon used to write the song Imagine. It's a great little story, and you should keep listening until the end in order to hear that too. So we're about to start in a moment, I promise, but I would like to point out one more thing, um, a slight technical problem that we had um, during the recording, which might make a slight difference to the listening and viewing experience of this episode. So during the recording of this conversation, John and I couldn't see each other, okay? We couldn't actually see each other while we were doing the conversation. We still managed to record our audio and video, but I couldn't see John and he couldn't see me during the call. We couldn't see each other. We could only hear each other. And that made it a little bit harder to conduct the interview. And I had to leave John to talk uh, without him getting any feedback from me. And by feedback, I mean things like body language stuff. Normally in these conversations, uh, I use eye contact. And, you know, this, this conversation was recorded remotely. Okay. And as you know, if you've used, you know, you're bound to have done lots of video calls yourselves. Sometimes that can be a barrier to communication. So, especially when you can't see each other. So normally I use eye contact and I use like nodding to encourage my interviewee. And maybe I sort of do a few gestures if I want to jump in and add something or ask a question. But that wasn't um, 
really possible this time. And so you you might be able to tell. It might make a difference to the general sort of um, vibe or atmosphere of the conversation. I hope it doesn't change the listening experience too much, but, you know, you might be able to tell. And if you're watching the video, you'll see that often we talk without looking at each other. Again, because we'd, we'd had to switch off our videos. So when I was editing this, the video version of this episode, I definitely noticed that I spent quite a lot of time sort of looking down at my desk during the conversation. I was looking down at my, my notepad uh, in, rather than looking up at the camera. And honestly, it made it look like I wasn't really that interested or engaged. But I definitely was interested. It's just that I was only focusing on John's words and I didn't have his face in front of me to look at. So I just wanted to point that out. Okay, all right. So I've waffled a lot in the introduction to this, and now it's time to meet John and listen to him talk about the lives and work of Bob Dylan and John Lennon, two huge figures in the culture of the English language. Now, if you're listening to the audio version of this, I will chat to you again on the other side of this conversation, but the video version ends when the conversation finishes. Okay, right. So that's enough of my waffling. Let's now meet John Stewart, the pop star university lecturer. And here we go. Hello, John. Very nice to have you on my podcast. Thank you for having me. You're both a university lecturer and a pop star, which is quite an interesting combination. I don't know if you're the only one. I, I've met a few, yeah. There's a couple, yeah. So what do you do after after you've been in a band, I guess? A few people have, have done that. One of the guys from a band called Ocean Colour Scene is, uh, is a lecturer, Damon Mintella. And uh, one of the guys from Everything Everything is an English lecturer at Newcastle University, yeah. He wrote, he wrote me a very nice uh, sleeve note for my book, actually, Alex Niven. So the book that we're going to talk about. It combines the the worlds of academia and pop music, and it's called Dylan, Lennon, Marx and God, which is quite a lot of things contained in one book title. Um, Maybe the best place to start is the title. Can you you explain the title and tell us about the book? Yeah, I did a PhD, and if you're doing a PhD, it's, it's quite involved, so you want to pick something that you enjoy. And my two favorite songwriters were have always been Bob Dylan and John Lennon and no one's ever done a comparison of them they've been written about hundreds and hundreds of times uh but the the original approach was to compare their work really and their lives so I did that using two different ways of thinking about it so Dylan and Lennon is the is the comparison of their lives and works which is called a dual biography which means looking at two people at the same time and and the idea of a dual biography is you learn more about the individuals through comparing them than you would if it was just a single biography because they have things in common that you can compare mm-hmm. and then um and then i look at their politics using a chap from america who was a famous writer on protest music who was also also quite left-wing so he was he was a marxist and uh, an english literature professor i look at their their view on history and their use of history through an english literature professor in america who's also a very famous literary critic who 
who takes a sort of Marxist view. I'm not. I'm not a Marxist, but they both are. That that's the basis of their academic work. And then I look at their beliefs and ideas using um, psychology. Uh, and so it became Dylan Lennon, Marx and God. And then an ex student did a a nice cut. I'm showing the cover. Uh, a very good graphic, as if they're in a band together. And that was the um, and that was it. Yeah. I wonder what instruments they would all play if they were in in a band. Yeah, I wonder that it would be quite psychedelic. That's a good word, psychedelic. Yeah. If you're learning English, <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I could. It would be like progressive rock. Yeah, definitely. They would definitely be a prog rock band, I suppose. But with John yeah, Lennon, they'd, yeah. they'd have that rock and roll edge to them. Um, exactly. I think it'd be quite good. It would be great, but who would be on drums? Like Karl Marx, surely. You would, yeah, possibly. But then you think God's, you know, it's going to be pretty thunderous. God's like a famous. If you think about it, it's trumpets and drums with God, isn't it? Right. It's trumpets and drums. So maybe he'd be like a good, a good drummer. Pretty heavy John Bonham style. Yeah, lots of reverb. Hammer of yeah. the gods. Yes, exactly. Thor on drums. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's there's so much in your book. I mean, it's incredibly um, dense and it covers so many things. There's so much scope to it. Um, but since this podcast is all about learning English, um, I thought that, you know, we could focus on language, right? That's the idea. Yes. A lot of, a lot of learners of English around the world are exposed to English first through song lyrics um, and maybe through the lyrics of John Lennon and, and Bob Dylan. It's often the, the first way that people come into contact with English in a really personal and meaningful way. So let, let's talk about the way that Dylan and Lennon use language in their music. Um, what, can you, what can you say about that? Well, it's fascinating, and it's one of the areas that I look at in their use of history, actually, in the... the, the because the the professor I use as a kind of a, a frame for it is an English is a literary critic. So <clears throat> it, the, with Lennon, for example, he's probably the best one to look at first because it's a little bit simpler. He he lived in this kind of fantasy world in his head as a child. He grew up in Liverpool after the Second World War. And um, it was quite a rough town. It was a port. And there was quite a lot of rebuilding going on. The city had been quite bombed quite badly during the war. In fact, there's a a legend that he was born on the night of the Liverpool Blitz, which isn't actually true, but it's a a good legend. He thought he was anyway. And uh, he grew up in this kind of lower middle class suburban area with not much to do and his stepmom who raised him Mimi um his aunt uh had lots of books so he just spent his childhood kind of making mischief and being a naughty boy on the one side which is where the rock and roll comes from and then reading children's books and encyclopedias and biographies of Churchill and Churchill's own history of Europe and the war. And um, he uses those references in his work. So some of when 
the way the the Beatles songs go is they're quite easy to understand the early Beatles music because it's very simple. It was they tried to make it as simple as they could, and there's lots of I and you first person pronouns, love, love me, do, and I want to hold your hand, and lyrics that anybody around the world could understand. Um, because they were they were marketing themselves as a pop band. And then about halfway through their career, they heard Bob Dylan, who has much more complex lyrics, and began to adopt that style. And at that point, John Lennon went from writing very, very simple first-person love songs to quite introverted songs about his childhood and his memories and... um quoting literature so you, listeners might know lewis carroll alice in wonderland so mm. he references that in lucy in the sky with diamonds picture yourself in a boat on a river and um he references edward lear uh the walrus and the carpenter which was who was a famous english children's poet really and these were books that were illustrated books with pictures drawn uh, uh for children that were famous throughout the 20th century and lennon had grown up on them so there's actually quite a good link there between learning english and and listening to to john the i am the walrus is his kind of um invocation of of the edward lear image and then he wrote about his childhood and famous songs like strawberry fields is named after Strawberry Field, which was a children's home over the back of his house. Um, and it's got famous gates that say Strawberry Field on the side, and people put the S in. The, the fields works better in plural in the song, but the place is called Strawberry Field, and people sort of correct the name of the place to the song when they go. Yeah. Famously, those gates were stolen and then returned. Which really, is quite the metal nice. the metal gates. Yeah. Really, they were they were taken. Yeah, they were stolen. I think in the nineties, and then someone brought them back. I guess they couldn't sell them, and melting them down would have been great because they featured on a very famous album, a compilation album in the seventies. Um, mm-hmm. And songs like "In My Life," where he thinks about his childhood, and McCartney did the same. Obviously, you know, Penny Lane, and they wrote about the area that they grew up in. If you ever come to the United Kingdom and you're a Beatles fan, you can do the National Trust trip to John's house uh, and Paul's house as well. And it's really worth it. You get a real sense of what it would have been like for them to grow up. And then later, he wrote songs like Mother about his childhood when he reflected on some of the more difficult aspects of it. So he uses children's books, childhood memories... Um, more complex books like the encyclopedia that his aunt had in the house and the histories of the British Empire, which is interesting as well because as the Beatles became famous, the British Empire was in retreat. So you, mm. might, you might have listeners all over the world learning English, maybe from Singapore or India or uh, different parts of the world that were once part of the British Empire. And during the early 1960s, every year, maybe three or four countries would leave uh, the British Empire. 
disassociate from the empire. They would basically formally withdraw and become independent or commonwealth states. But at the same time, the Beatles were becoming worldwide cultural ambassadors for the United Kingdom. So Britain was replacing its role in the world as a, a sort of empire with one as a cultural kind of singing a band singing songs about peace and love which is quite yeah. quite nice in a way yeah um, it, it sort of went yeah. from yeah the different kind of um cultural exports or uh, yeah. how to put it it's, a, it's obviously yeah it goes from the sort of the the old the old image of 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 britain rules the waves to Britain rule rules the airwaves, I suppose you could say. Which I wish, <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd put that in my book. Actually, that would have been quite That's a good. That's very line. good. You, um, you just came up with yeah. that right now. Um, so yeah, it's instead of the, it's, it's already in print. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn! There's not going to be a, a reprint or something like. I must include that line. No, but I'll, I'll throw that in some more interviews, maybe. But it's a very, it's a really good uh, observation, though. Yeah, that um, while the uh, British Empire was in retreat, the the Beatles, yeah, mm. were kind of expanding around the world, and they were very consciously they wanted to include music from around the world. So they worked with some of the best musicians from India later on, and and John and um, Paul both both became quite sincere devoted followers of vedic traditions of one sort or another and the indian religions which are quite ancient you know and um mm. the it's the oldest the vedic tradition is the oldest religious text that we know of or is commonly thought to be and um so he would then include some indian language in some of his songs um one of the choruses of a chorus of Across the universe is is Jai Guru Deva Om, which was a meditation that he had. So it became quite international and spiritual, and people all around the world obviously were were keen on English. So I think that's part of their success, really. Um, and he was also had a vivid imagination, so he sort of expanded his consciousness and wrote lots of songs about peace and love. And imagine being a, the perfect example, which is still sung around the world. At the Olympics, I've I talked about Imagine on the podcast recently, mm-hmm. um, referring to the fact that people often seem to misunderstand uh, what he actually meant by the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is quite commonly misinterpreted, isn't it, and taken up by the the people who the song maybe even criticises. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think he'd been th- on a journey. So John Lennon, th- John and. Bob Bob Dylan. One of the interesting things about them is they go on a sort of a cross journey. They 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 pass each other. So John went from being a pop star to a political figure, and during that journey, he experimented with with issues like uh, is it appropriate to to engage in you know quite violent protests if things are very wrong. And um, so that was his song Revolution, where he discusses that in the lyrics of the song. And he ended up saying that that wasn't appropriate and decided that actually if, if, you, if you just try hard enough and think hard enough and wish something hard enough, then it's more likely to happen. So, which is uh, a more sort of spiritual way of looking at it. And a lot of that was through the influence of Yoko Ono, I think. But he he kind of arrived there 
on his own as well. Mm-hmm. And he felt that that through through you had to change your mind before you could change the world and that consciousness was a very real thing and that through um through mental effort you could you could almost make good things happen by by the right attitude which is quite an interesting worldview so but bob dylan went the opposite way bob dylan was was a very political figure when he started and then he retreated from that and became much more abstract in his work to avoid politics and to have more disguised political messages because in america it was so dangerous to be involved in politics and the of course the irony is that john lennon was assassinated in 1980 um because he was the political beetle and Bob Dylan is still alive today because he stepped back from all of that because he, he, um, he, he knew, he, he knew the dangers. He was, he was much, much more cynical than John Lennon. People thought John was the cynical beetle, but Bob Dylan was much more realistic and hard bitten, I think. And, and the irony of imagine and John's work as a ambassador for peace is that he himself was a, a victim of political violence. Which is another thing I should have put in the book, I see. <laughs> <laughs> should have spoken to me earlier. I know, I'm regretting. Well, I mean, I'm terribly. You... Next, next book I write, I'll talk to you first before it comes out. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you mean when you say that it, it, um, he was killed for political reasons? Because, I mean, I well, he's it's quite a touchy, yeah, he... a touchy topic, isn't it? this one he he'd written something so the there's a in america it's still quite some parts of america quite people have very strong faith and their religion's very important to them and he'd he'd said some some things that upset people um and and one of the motivations for his assassination was that the his writings and and speeches in the 60s against oh, right, right. Uh, formal formal religion yeah so in that set you know ringo Starr is known for narrating children's books so no no one's going to attack ringo uh whereas john's the political beetle and he, he had been very political he he did engage in some quite difficult ideas some of which are quite difficult to support today um you know he at one point he was supporting some some quite radical you know but violent uh, movements um and then he backed off from that um because he sort of reached a position where he felt that he'd made a mistake there so he went on this little journey and and dylan's journey was the opposite so bob dylan started off as a very writing very incisive very forthright protest songs in the early 1960s um as part of the folk movement with an acoustic guitar so if you imagine John Lennon is in a band making lots of noise. Um, the words are perhaps less important because there's a drummer behind mm-hmm. you and mm-hmm. guitars cr- clanging around. And if you're Bob Dylan and you've just got an acoustic guitar, the words are really important. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So Dylan's very interesting to listen to because he's a he's a poet he wrote words first so he would write the words of the song and then sing them work out what the tune was whereas bob john lennon worked the other way around and when when john lennon one of the things that helped change john lennon's music was listening to bob dylan and he realized how powerful words could be and dylan's interesting for different reasons he he was very influenced by American literature and poets from the from the eighteen hundreds. Um, if uh, you, I don't, wouldn't expect listeners to know it because it's quite it's not that well known. But there's an American tradition from that period called transcendentalism, which was a reaction to the the world becoming industrial. So they 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 loved nature. And they were very spiritual. They looked at different religions from around the world. And um, if listeners know, there's a church called the Unitarian Church, which is very open-minded. And they were part of that. And they were interested in Indian religions and how and accepting people from different faiths and nature and individualism. That was their big thing. Like mm. the, the individual can, can find God. I'm not religious, but I'm just sort of interested in how this works. So the traditional church, the church that John Lennon reacted against was more about joining a group and and finding God through the church, which is fair enough. And the, the tradition that Dylan was not part of, but I think influenced by, um, was more about finding an individual connection to your higher power, whatever that might be. So those those themes are throughout Dylan's lyrics. There's lots of Bible metaphors, uh, lots of songs about being being true to yourself and standing out on your own. Lots of stories about individual characters. So he would try and write a song about, say, racism or poverty but he would base it around one character mm. often a true story Hattie Carroll is a famous one about a famous incidence of racism in America so he wrote the story of Hattie Carroll and um, it, that's a beautiful song and it, because he's a poet he 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 I, I think you could argue is the greatest pop song lyric writer there's ever been so it's a little bit more complex than John Lennon, especially Lennon's early stuff. But it's quite rewarding, and there's lots of history to be learned from it, especially Dylan's early stuff, because it's, it's true stories and it's trying to get a message across. And then gradually he became less interested in getting a message across and more interested in the poetry. So he uses metaphors and similes. A, me- a metaphor would be saying something 
is something to, to describe it like the answer is blowing in the wind is bob dylan's yes probably most famous song yeah he's no one knows where's what's the what's the answer to this question no one really knows mm. the answer's blowing in the wind and he got that image from a, a paper bag that was blowing wow. blowing it on a street in the wind yeah. he was sitting in a cafe writing the song and a bag blew down the street and um, so he uses really beautiful images in his love songs and all his songs. He was a great love song writer. If you like love songs, Bob Dylan's love songs are just beautiful. And um, a great romantic, which is part of that tradition, literary tradition I mentioned earlier. Yes. And, um, and he also used lots of metaphors, because he grew up in the middle of America. Lots of his lyrics are based on weather and landscapes and people don't realize but if you listen to bob dylan's blowing in the wind hard rain's gonna fall uh buckets of rain just loads and loads and loads because in the midwest in america the weather changes it's a very it's a continental climate and it gets very humid and hot and cold in in winter hot in summer cold in winter rains on and off sometimes very heavily um and he lived in this very interesting landscape that was the midwestern landscape and wrote so lots of lots of images about weather and rain and yeah throughout his songs he uses mm -hmm. that as a constant metaphor so they use language in different ways but they complement each other and they they sort of were rivals in a way dylan wanted to be in, in a band and Bob Dylan, John Lennon wanted to write more complex songs. So that was the, that was how they worked. They never actually worked together, did they? I mean, there's only a few times that they met. I don't know if, they, if yeah. there was any chance of them working together. Is that right? The, the, first, the first chapter is, is my account of their relationship. And they met a few times. I put them all in the book. And they also were in a studio twice but didn't record what once in lennon's home studio and once in a studio in new york but didn't record together because i think they weren't friends um bob dylan was friends with george harrison very very close friends mm. and they did work together dylan and lennon they were they were such big figures independently they were more rivals but I, and they hugely they were massive fans of each other and it's quite difficult I, I've worked with people that I'm a fan of as a musician and it takes a long time to feel comfortable in their presence because if you're if you if you're a fan of the person you you think of them in a different way to a normal human although they are just yes. normal humans it just takes a while to get used to that and I don't think they ever quite got over that so they were associates rather than friends as far as I know more, you know, they might have been on the phone to each other every day, for all I know, but I don't think they were. As far as we know, yeah, that's the way it was. Yeah, as far as we know, I just, I, I, I don't think, yeah, I, I mean, who knows? Yoko is quite old now, so I, I don't think uh, the, there's that much more to come out. But um, he did visit Yoko after after Lennon was killed um, in her house, which which you know shows that the, they had a closest. And then later on, he wrote a song roll on john about john lennon quite recently oh, so okay. they did influence each other a lot yeah uh, i heard you say before in another podcast that dylan uh went to 
that he actually did that National Trust tour that you talked about mm. earlier. That's he right. He didn't visit yeah. Paul's house. He only visited John's house. He got off. Yeah. And no one, he got on the bus. He wears a sort of a hoodie and he got on the bus and no one knew who he was. And then no one recognised him. And then gradually people worked out, I think, who he was. And he got off the bus before Paul's house. Perhaps, perhaps, it's very easy to read things into these stories. Perhaps he w- he'd realised people knew, knew who he was. So the house, the house um, caretaker certainly spotted him. And um, so perhaps really? he was like, okay, I've been rumbled. I'll, I'll get a cab back to the venue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would have mm-hmm. liked to have been on that bus. That would have been funny. Although you wouldn't be able to concentrate on visiting the... John Lennon house, you'd be like, I'm with Bob Dylan, you know. <laughs> be like, which one do I, which one do I look at? Exactly. What do I, oh my, yeah. overload, overload. The other interesting thing about Bob yeah. is that the landscape, the landscape he grew up on is, and some listeners might be from sort of industrial, I grew up in an industrial area, Sheffield in the north of England. And he grew up in a landscape that was part of an open cast mine, the biggest iron ore mine in the world at the time, I think. So an open cast mine is not like a mine that you sink into the ground. It's a mine where they just take the ground away. And some listeners might be familiar with that. They do it. They wouldn't Mm. do it much in the United Kingdom because in England, we don't have that much space, but in some countries where they have a lot of space, they'll just scoop, scoop away the ground to get to what they need underneath it. And, um, so Dylan grew up in a town called Hibbing, which is which was surrounded by this open cast mine. So he had a very dramatic Midwestern landscape, but that was being ruined by the mining, just cut away. This huge they called it the Grand Canyon of the North. If you know the the Grand Canyon, it's a fantastic natural phenomenon well this was that but made by humans in industrial scale and um so his lyrics his use of weather and nature and animals in his lyrics i think is a reaction to that and um throughout his work you see this kind of country and city challenge and and you might be familiar if you're if you're from a rural area, but you live in a city now, that's very different. And I think that was that you can hear that in Bob Dylan's work a lot. Um, references, lots of his references to cars are about car crashes and danger and pollution. Most rock songs and pop songs about cars celebrate cars. They're you know. Route 66, get your kicks on Route 66. It's all yeah. about this road and cars being fantastic. It's the new form of travel and young people and cars. It's exciting. But most of Bob Dylan's reflections about uh, metal are to do with, and cars and in- industry are to do with the the sort of the, the dangerous side or the damage. So lots of car crashes or accidents or the road is a, it's a sort of a lonely road. Yeah. So that's interesting in his work that he, he he's definitely a great advocate for nature, which I think has been overlooked a lot a lot because people just think about his politics, and also very spiritual, like John as well. He had a he, he had a full on religious experience in the nineteen seventies, and has I believe has remained. 
quite a spiritual person ever since. Like I said, I'm not really religious, but Bob Dylan certainly is. And almost every album since has had a song that's got a spiritual, very strong spiritual content, at least one. Do you know about that religious experience? Was there a specific thing that happened to him? There's various stories, but it seems like somebody threw a cross, like a necklace cross on mm. stage and he picked it up. And it can be very lonely being in that world if you're a pop star. I think especially if you're a solo artist like Bob was, or say Elvis Presley, you, you haven't yeah. got people you can bounce off. With the Beatles, John Lennon was in a gang and then later he had Yoko Ono that he could be with and check ideas with. But if you're on your own, you really, once you're that famous, you can't trust anybody that you meet because you don't know what their motives are. Mm. Um, you can't trust their opinions because you, they're, they're a fan, so they're not really treating you like a normal human. They'll say anything to be in your company. It's a fascinating psychological situation to be in and so you're very yeah. much on your own and um, often people like John Lennon stayed with their school friends for years as as they kept their, the people who knew them before they were famous stayed their friends because they couldn't really trust anybody else once they'd been in the Beatles and um, I think Dylan didn't really keep in touch with his childhood friends so he was kind of on his own and has been quite a lot. Apart, family was very important to Bob Dylan. He, he's mm. possibly quite a bit more conservative than most people think. He, his early music's very political, but his later music is quite family-oriented. And um, he's, he's kept away from, largely kept away from politics. Um, and his... So... I think that's. I think family's possibly important to him because it's the only people that he can trust is his children and his partner, and so he was. He was just on the road and uh, and had a had a conversion moment. Yeah, he was in the hotel and and then went to visit um, a church in California to talk talk it through with somebody, and it. It's gradual. People think of it as a sudden thing for Bob, but it was probably much more gradual because he'd been using Bible quotes and characters from the Bible since the early 60s, and this happened in the late 1970s. So yes, the, the basic story is, you know, Dylan, Bob Dylan had a, a religious experience, but I, there, are, there are different types of religious experience. Um, there are the sort of the flash ones and then there are the gradual ones. Um, an American psychologist, uh, William James, I think his name was very famously described those in, in the early 1900s. And most people think of Bob Dylan's as a, as a St. Paul on the road to Damascus moment where something happens and then he becomes a Christian. But actually probably what happened is it was much more gradual than that in that gradually he just found that the the bible chapters that he'd been using in songs for stories suddenly had a deeper meaning to him and when he did go to this church and talk mm -hmm. to uh the pastor there he said he he had quite a profound knowledge of of all this as many people do in the united states it's um 
like I said earlier, it's an area where, you know, religion's very important, as it is across the world to different people, you know, in different parts of the world. Yes. So, which is fair enough, you know. So he was probably quite... He was probably quite steeped in in sort of the Bible already, without yeah. having necessarily converted he, to Christianity. He, he was Jewish, but he lived in a in a midwestern town that didn't have a massive Jewish population. So he went to a regular school, and he was very familiar with both the Jewish texts, so the Old Testament and the Torah, and the New Testament, because that's what in those days. A lot of people went to Sunday school, even in the United Kingdom. John Lennon went to Sunday school and at his local church and was was a Cub Scout for a while, sang in the choir. That would have been interesting to get mm-hmm. married in in Walton Church Hall in Liverpool in 1954 and have a spotty teenage John Lennon singing in the choir as you as you were getting yeah. married. Well, there will be there'll be some there'll be some older yeah. there'll be some old couples maybe still around. Yeah. I don't know if that's no possible, idea. but maybe if, one or two old couples still around who they don't realise. If you yeah. do ever visit Liverpool and you um, get in a taxi and it's an older taxi driver, you've always got to say to them, "Did you ever meet the Beatles?" Because they'll always have a, "Oh, I knew John Lennon." They'll, I mean, whether or not they did, they'll always say that, and they'll make up some story about, "Oh, I used to drink with John Lennon." <laughs> I knew Paul back in the day, you know, and then now they're sort of an older guy driving a cab. They've all got those stories. I'm not sure how many are true. Yeah. Even if it's not true, it'll yeah. still be it'll still be worth hearing the story. You get a bigger tip. From so, the... Our taxi driver knew John Lennon. We gave him a nice tip. He told us a story. <laughs> um, That's not an in- okay. no insult. Well, no insult to Liverpool taxi drivers. That's just in my. No, absolutely brain. not. Yeah. No, I uh, I love Liverpool taxi drivers. I used to live in Liverpool, and um, mm. I remember one particular day I had uh, to hand in a uh, an essay, and I was it was like really the last minute. I had until four p.m. to get that essay, you know, in, and uh, I was printing it off at home. I had a very dodgy printer. And I got it all printed and stuff. And I leapt out into the street and flagged down a cab. And I said, get me to the university quick. I've got to hand this essay in. He was like, all right, mate, strap in. And, um, and boom, off we went. And he was driving down all the back streets on the Amazing. way up to uh, Mount Pleasant, mm, yeah. in the, where, where my yeah. university was based. That's where John drank up there. Yeah, yeah those Beatle haunts and yeah. stuff, all those places where the Beatles would, Beatles yeah. would hang out. He was driving down these back streets and he got me there in time, so I'm, I'm always, uh, yeah, I always have good memories yeah. of Liverpool taxi drivers. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it, it's the the those days are gone now. You because obviously I'm an academic, I work in a university, and you hand in work online. But at, at Sussex University, which used to be connected to my institution, they did have a, a the five o'clock run, and they would have a little window, mm-hmm. a little wooden serving hatch where you would hand in your work and. It, when the work was due, it would be five o'clock on a Friday or a Monday or whatever, and they would close the door at five o'clock exactly. And you you could watch students sprinting with the paper in their hand across the <laughs> across the yeah. square to get to this window and try and get the paper in before it's shut on them at five o'clock. Yeah, yeah. But no, those days are gone now. It's all it's all electronic, as you'll know if you're a student. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I studied media and cultural studies, actually, Go and uh, one of the modules I did, I did modules on pop music mm. um, back in the day, 
they were the definitely the best modules, everyone's favourite subject. And we had a really good uh, lecturer called Ron Moy. I know the name, yeah. It was yeah. just amazing. I wrote essays about music. You, you know him? I know the name. You know the name. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've been doing this yeah. for 20 years now, so I do know. Yeah, so Liverpool has a big popular studies uh, department. The last, it, I, I was going to say, the last was, thing. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say it was yeah. at Liverpool John Moore's. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. I did that. Yeah, I've been I've been there a couple yeah. of times because I've worked at Lipper, and that John Moore's was their institution. Any, uh, uh, their connected institution. Yeah. But the the only the, the other thing that in terms of if you're studying English, there's a, there's an interesting John Lennon song called Norwegian Wood, which is uh, which is one of those songs he wrote that was really influenced by Bob Dylan. So you can really hear he he'd written lots of uh, you know I want to hold your hand type of love songs. And then he wrote this song that's much more oblique. It's much more abstract about a love affair. And it's called Norwegian Wood. And there's, there's a film called Norwegian Wood from Japan, actually, that, that uh, uses that title as well because of the song. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, pine wood was just becoming popular in the United Kingdom as, as, as a type of furniture which is why he calls it norwegian wood and it's this sort of story of a, a love affair but it's all done very poetically of course wood is a natural metaphor it's a nature natural thing right so it just draws on you can tell he's been listening to bob dylan and bob dylan thought this was so transparent at this point he'd done three or four songs like this that Bob Dylan wrote, they, he visited John's house in the summer of uh, 66 and then wrote a song to say to John, stop, stop stealing my stuff. And um, uh, that, that's called uh, <laughs> Fourth Time Around and that's on the Blonde on Blonde album. And there's a line, it really freaked John Lennon out because he was like, oh no, he's on to me. And um, he visited John's house, and one of the lines is, I didn't ask for your crutch. Crutch being a sort of a thing, obviously, you, you, you use if you, if you have a bad leg to carry you. I didn't ask for your crutch. Mm -hmm. Don't ask for mine. And it, because it's Bob Dylan, you're not quite sure what it's about, but it's basically rewriting Norwegian Wood, the, the, the tune with these song lyrics directed yeah. at John Lennon. And then one of the lines is um, the picture of you in your wheelchair. And John had a picture of him in a wheelchair, probably the one from the film Help. So Bob Dylan had visited John's house mm -hmm. for one night and seen this picture and written a song to John about a picture of him that he'd seen in his house that he might not even have, he might have pointed it out at the time, but who knows. So you can understand why John was like, oh my God, this guy's getting right inside my head. Um, so they did have, they wrote songs about yeah. each other uh, throughout their career, which is interesting to question. There's quite a lot of question and answer songs in pop music. And that's one, there's a couple like that, that they wrote about each other. 
um, John Lennon wrote a song about John after he'd had his religious experience called Serve Yourself, which is based on John's song Serve... Uh, about, about on Bob's song Serve Somebody. Bob Dylan wrote a religious song Serve Somebody and John Lennon turned it into Serve Yourself. So, yeah, quite a complex relationship, really, but mm-hmm. played out in language between them. John name checks Dylan as well in the song God, doesn't he? Where yes. he's listing all the things he doesn't believe in. Um, and he, he sort of uh, names him Zimmerman, which is his like his actual his his name. Prop, his yeah. proper name, yeah. his original name. So it's quite mm. a cutting mm. thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah it's fascinating, um, really. Quite a complex relationship. So, Absolutely. Um, so just before we finish, I mean, you, mm. you mentioned there the sort of the experiences of being a pop star and stuff. I mean, you've had that experience as well. Um, yeah, because I remember you. I remember your band Sleeper when I, when I was a teenager in the nineties. I saw you on TV. Mm. Uh, you were on top of the pops and stuff, and you were on the radio. The band was part of a movement called Britpop. Yep. So I don't know what <laughs> got any stories. Well, yeah, got any but, uh, Britpop so stories. Britpop happened largely because of the Beatles, really. So everybody, if you, if you know pop music and you know American music from the early 90s, everybody was listening to a type of rock called grunge and a band called Nirvana. And um, and then, very sadly, Kurt Cobain passed away and it was time... Everybody knew something different was going to happen and um, there'd been a few bands in the United Kingdom that were more influenced by British music, particularly the Beatles from the 60s the kinks and the Beatles and bands like that. And um, so there was a sort of explosion of British bands influenced by 60s music and, and 60s and 70s British music, really. Mm. And I'd formed a band when I was at university with Louise, who's the singer of Sleeper, and she's just yeah. a natural pop star, really. So I was very lucky in that... Um, I met a person who was just a natural born front person for a band and yeah. asked her to form a band with me. And she said, yes. And then was just hanging on the coattails for the next five years, trying not to mess it up really. <laughs> um, my favorite story is after it, I mean, we got to play, uh, there's a, there's a famous musician called Elvis Costello and we got to tour America with him, which was fantastic. And um, wow. largely because we got to watch him play every night. We were the first band on. Um, yeah. But um, uh, he covered one of our songs. There's a song called What Do I Do Now that he did a, a version of, uh, which I helped. And, well, it's Louise's song, but, you know, mm-hmm. I played on the original and sort of helped arrange it with, with Andy the drummer or, you know, contributed to it in some way. So to have a yeah. song that you've been a part of, um, then recorded by a bit of a legendary artist like him, that that was amazing. And then yeah. after the band, I went to America for a few years and uh, did played with an artist called Katie Lang, or played on one of mm-hmm. her records, I should say. And... Um, um, when I came back to London one time to see Louise and Andy from Sleeper, they were working in George Michael's studio. Oh, the famous George Michael. Yeah. Yes. 
and he sings back in we, we put that record out last year uh, oh really it, it's a sort of a lost lost songs album and uh it's got george michael singing back on vocals on some of it and uh he <laughs> he just bought the imagine piano that John Lennon wrote and played Imagine on, and it was in his it was in his studio in Highgate. So you wait. So okay. So you worked with George Michael, um, Louise and, and Andy uh, did. Yeah, yeah. Louise and Andy did, and you you came in to visit. I'm and, in. Yeah. Uh, you were in George Michael's studio, and he had bought the Imagine piano, the piano yeah. that John Lennon wrote Imagine on. Yes, and recorded. Yeah, and it's not the it's not the big white one. It's an upright. It's a brown mm-hmm. upright piano. And so we were just like, I was, Andy was like, you've got to get over here. You've got to get over here. There's the Imagine pianos here. And I was like, oh my God. So I jumped in a cab, but chatting to the cab driver, London cab driver, never met the Beatles, and got, got <laughs> to the studio and we were just taking pictures and everything. And I had um, a denim jacket on with a metal button just on the cuff. And the very last picture we did um, I sort of hugged the piano. I said, this is the greatest day of my life. And I hugged the piano and stroked it across the top. And as I did, the metal button on my denim jacket cuff just put a <laughs> scratch right across the top of it, a deep one against the grain. <laughs> oh, I God. felt it go. I felt it digging in. I was like, oh, my God. It was like £1.4 million. He just bought it. <laughs> oh my god i've scratched the imagine piano so it went from being my greatest ever day to my worst and um and it's now it's still there so the guys george wasn't there george was on the way in to the studio he was on yeah and, uh, and did he did he notice no the engineer said he won't notice he's he was smoking a lot of cannabis at the time he said he'll be stoned when he gets here he won't know and um <laughs> I said, should I tell him? I'll tell him. I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest and I'll just say what happened. And they said, no, you don't need to. He's not going to, he's not going to notice. So it does have other marks on it. John Lennon would leave cigarettes on the side of the piano and they'd burn away. And so the cigarette burns on it and scuffs on the bottom of it, but the top's mm. quite clean. So it's now under a glass case. So no one, no idiot like me can touch it ever again. It's in a Liverpool it? museum. It's in Strawberry Fields Museum in Liverpool under a glass case with my scratch across the top and it's about elbow length in <laughs> from the side so if you visit you'll see a scratch right across the top just about that far in length of my elbow exactly well exactly that far in the length of my elbow to my cuff and um yeah it's about six or seven inches gouge across the top and um so now under a glass case protected and everyone thinks i guess they must think john lennon did it but no that was that was this idiot, sadly. Yeah, damaged. <laughs> you left your mark on the world of pop music in several ways. It's the most expensive thing I've ever I've ever damaged, and I, I'm quite clumsy, so I've had lots of bumps in cars. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a yeah, that's great. Yeah, so like my pop career has basically just been trying not to mess things up for for the, everybody else in my band. <laughs> this is the, the book's the only thing I've ever done by myself, so. Well, it's great. Um, so I guess people can get it in all the usual bookshops, yeah, it's, right? It's quite. Che- it's an academic book. It's Cambridge University Press, but it's quite cheap. It's like twenty quid, and it, you can get it on digital versions as well. So, okay, yeah, all right. 
Well, brilliant. John, thank you so much for talking to me and my audience and describing the things you've talked about. It's You're been very, welcome, very interesting. Luke, any time. If people enjoy it, I'll happily come back. We could talk about songs and how, how songs, sure. lyrics work in songs and stuff and things like that. Absolutely. And this that is a great, great podcast. You've done really well. It's, 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 uh, my partner teaches Japanese, so I know, I know a good language teacher and you've, you've done a great job. If you're, if you're listening to this, well done. Oh, you, you've, you found a good teacher. Ah, oh, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Okay, right. Well, have a lovely day and uh, keep in touch. Yeah, will do. Thanks, everyone. All right. Nice one. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was John Stewart. And thank you again to John for his contribution to this episode. Hello, listeners. How are you? Are you okay? You're still listening then? Great. How was that for you? I always want to know, don't I? I always want to know how that was for you uh, because I would just like to know how it was from your side. You know, I make these episodes for you. I'd love to know what you think. Um, I think the conversation definitely warmed up as it continued. Maybe that was because we recorded this in the morning and it just took us both a bit of time to wake up a bit. But I don't know. You can tell me if 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 um, I'm overanalyzing everything again. You know, those things I said in the beginning where I was like, oh, you know, we couldn't see each other. So that made a difference to the conversation. To be honest, I was a little bit concerned that, uh, you know, that you would find that, I don't know, just not quite as gripping as I do, you know. Uh, but who am I to judge? And I always kind of think if I'm interested in this, then there's a good chance that the rest of my audience will be interested in it too. It's, you know, it can be hard to know sometimes. It can be hard to judge. Obviously, I could just be making content where it's always the same kind of standard thing, you know, about learning English. The sort of, you know, the usual sorts of things that you get about learning English, like, you know, phrase really useful phrasal verbs and idioms and stuff. And that's obviously really important too. And I do, I do that stuff especially in the premium content. But on the podcast, I do like to go further afield and I want to have interesting guests. It's okay. I don't need to justify the way I do this. Just do it. Let the work speak for itself. Okay. So yeah, I want to say thank you again to John uh, for this and also for those kind words that he said about the podcast at the end. That was very nice of him to say that. He didn't have to say that. It was very nice of him to, to add that. Uh, and yeah, I think I must invite John back to the show at some point to talk about pop music in some way. Uh, it's one of my favourite subjects, as you well know. You know, I've done lots of episodes about pop music before. Um, and um, so that's something I can come back to anytime I want, I suppose. Um, no, no need for me to ramble too much at the end of this. Um, I think I'll just sort of like uh, stop soon. But there we go. Okay. All right. Well done to you for listening this far. Congratulations. You did it. This is an important thing, right? Perseverance. I've talked about it before in a recent episode. Perseverance, meaning which means to just keep going. And uncertainty. When you're like, oh, I'm not sure what, what, what's, I, I lost, I missed that. What, what, what did they say? Oh dear, I think I'm a bit lost. Keep going. Or it's like, oh, not sure about this. This is not the, you know, this is not the content that I was looking for this time, Luke. I just wanted funny stuff. 
Um, there was a bit of funny stuff. I mean, that that uh, piano story is brilliant. But maybe the, the more sort of academic stuff about John's book, uh, you know, so that feeling of like, oh, this isn't exactly what I wanted. Keep going. Keep listening. Okay. There's method to the madness and I know what I'm doing. Now I'm preaching to the converted because you did manage to keep listening. Well done, you. Extra bonus points for listening all the way through. Congratulations. Well done. Okay. I'm going to shut up now. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a wonderful Lepster. And I will speak to you very soon in a, in a podcast, okay? Unless I actually meet you in real life somehow. Um, sometimes, you know what? Sometimes I wonder if people do recognise me, but they're too polite not to speak to me. And I think probably what happens is just no one recognises me ever. It's a weird thing. I've t- again, I've talked about this before. I've talked about everything before, always repeating myself. But it's a weird thing. I kind of, I'm on, you know, I'm on the internet and I get uh, comments like all the time. Every sort of every few minutes or every time I check my phone, there's new comments. People are constantly writing to me. I've got quite a lot of followers on YouTube. Some of my videos have got millions of views. And so... I'm kind of thinking, wait a minute, am I, am I famous? Is that, am I famous? And then I, when I meet people, let's say, for example, a group of students I'm teaching, um, and at the end of the lesson, I'll say, oh, by the way, you know, you could listen to an episode of my podcast. It's on the similar subject to what we've been talking about today. Might be a good way to, you know, just, you know, to push things a bit further. Um, I didn't tell you about my podcast, but you know, here it is. I also do a podcast for learners of English. Um, and I show them, and maybe I show them on YouTube and they, and someone's like, what? Wow, you've got lots of followers. Wow, this video's got over a million views. Wow, you're famous, is what they say. And I'm kind of like, no, I don't, no, I don't think so. I don't think I am because I'll just walk around, walk down the street here in Paris, go and do my, go about my business. And I, I certainly do not feel famous. I'm out, I'll be out with Paul Taylor, my friend Paul, who is like definitely famous in France. Um, but, um, and so I'll be out with him and people are kind of coming over, you know, or we'll be sitting down somewhere and you get the sense that oh, those people over there just kind of keep looking at us. And then they finish their coffee or whatever. And as they're leaving, one of them kind of comes over a bit sheepishly and says, um, are you Paul? You know, they'll probably say it in French. Are you, are you Paul Taylor? I'm just, I just really like your comedy and I'm just like watch your videos and stuff. And I came to see your show and I just wanted to say it was brilliant. Do you, do you mind if I take a photo? And, um, and I'm there going, I'm, I'm on YouTube as well. I've got, and they're like, could you take the photo for us? I, uh, okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Have a nice day. And they're like, okay, can we just speak to Paul please? So like Paul is definitely famous. Um, and, but I'm just walking around the street. No one, no one cares. So it's it's a weird thing for me because um, although I have I do have quite a lot of listeners and stuff, everyone's like spread out around the world so much. It's like they've just been. It's yeah. Whereas Paul's people are kind of all concentrated in one place. Mine are all distributed all around the world, all spread out. And so I never actually, I rarely meet them. I mean, every now and then there'll be an event or something. Like, for example, if I do a talk at the British Council and I, I tell you about it or some kind of meetup thing, 
And uh, and then when that happens, I'm kind of always sort of surprised because people want to talk to me afterwards. They're like, Luke, can I just talk to you? Can I get a selfie? And like, oh, okay. Um, so it's a weird thing. Anyway, little ramble, bonus ramble at the end, uh, which I said I wouldn't do. I said I'm gonna, I was going to stop talking, but here we go. I'm still going. All right, I'm going to stop now. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely uh, morning, afternoon, evening or night. And I will speak to you next time. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.